You're listening to episode 383 of the GNU World Order. My name's Klaatu, and in this episode we're going to talk about Chrome books. No, we're not. We're going to talk about Chromium books. So, in this episode, I wanted to kind of finally review, uh, in a way, the recent experience that I've had with Chromebooks. And in order to do that, I guess I'll back up a little bit and talk about how I have very intentionally and quite happily for a long time ignored Chromebooks. Uh, Chromebooks came out, well, before I left the U.S., which was seven years ago now, and it came out well before that. So I'm going to say arbitrarily 10 years. I could look that up, but... Let's just call it 10 years for convenience sake. 10 years ago, Chromebooks came out. And I think it's fair to say at this point that they have made a rather hefty impression. At least here in New Zealand, they are the default computer at most schools. Uh, at most, uh, what, do, what do you call them? Primary and secondary schools, I guess? Like, not university, but, but for all the other schools, the lower schools. And I think that's kind of a... A, a, a general, I think that's a pretty common phenomenon. And that's interesting to know, because that means that there are a lot of computer users out there with Chromebooks. Let's just put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that point in a, in a moment. So Chromebooks, when they first came out, I kind of ignored, because as far as I knew, and I, I don't know this for sure because I didn't because I have, I, I, I'm late to the game. I've waited like 10 years to even start investigating. So my history of the subject is, is very much lacking. But we could say that at the time, at least when they came out, I was in, uninterested in them because as far as I knew, their reputation was it was a hardware browser. Like it was, it was an internet browser and that was what it was. And I, as far as I know, back then that that was the case and as far as i can tell now it seems to be by default that case and once again we'll come back to these concepts and and sort of re revisit a lot of these in a little bit but that that's the reason that i ignored chrome chrome, chrome books for a very very long time well recently i kind of realized that there are a lot of people out there as i've said with chromebooks it's it's a computer that you are very likely to run into. And and I'm saying that as someone who was not looking to run into Chromebooks, and yet I still ran into them, whether it was at computer stores, and, you know, there'd be the obligatory shelf of Chromebooks because it would be the back-to-school season, and so there were Chromebooks for sale so people could pick up a Chromebook for school, that sort of thing, or whether it was because someone at a, at, at a, a social event showed up with a Chromebook, or someone's kid has a Chromebook and they need to know how to do something on the Chromebook or whatever. You, you just, you start to, especially as a geek, you start to run into them. They're, they're kind of unavoidable. And when that happens, then you know that it's reached a certain, certain capacity. And so my, my life as a geek was starting to very, very on the peripheral, but I mean, it was, it was, I was starting to notice Chromebooks. It was starting to be affected by the presence of Chromebooks. And so finally, I kind of sat down and did a little bit of soul searching and thought, okay, well, I have no interest in buying a new computer. I don't need one. I'm, 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 I work from home now and I have all the computing devices that I really technically need. I mean, I don't know if, if one can ever have too many, but you know, realistically had enough. Uh, and, and I don't like to purchase new hardware if I don't have to, because I feel like this world has produced enough hardware at this point that without any new purchases, we could all probably get another computer if we wanted one. So I didn't want to purchase a new computer, but I, I was very aware of the fact that my, that there's a gap in my knowledge around computing. I mean, there's a huge gap 
in that I don't really know Windows at all. But that's that's its own thing, and I feel relatively okay with that personally, because I my interest is in POSIX systems, and until Windows becomes a, a true POSIX system, I, I really don't honestly have interest in it. And I realize that that's 80% of the population, or 75, or whatever it is, uh, of the computer-using population is probably on Windows, and so it, it, it does me very little good as a, sort of as a, as an, as a walking, talking advertisement of maybe an alternative to know nothing about the platform upon which people are, are probably computing. I, I realize that this is a, a, a big gap, and we could talk all day about whether it would be more advantageous to learn sort of the OS of the of the opposition such that I could then better argue for the alternative or something like that. I get that. I'm aware of it. We don't need to, to bring that up right now. It's a thing. Chromebooks, on the other hand, I felt, well, from what I understand, it's based on Linux, and it's probably a big deal. That's probably something that I should be more educated about. So I started looking months ago now for a used Chromebook on the internet, uh, long story short, could not find one that wasn't like over a hundred dollars, and with the text, not sure if it works. That that kind of it's really weird. Like the the local resale market on computers is really really strange, or at least especially for Chromebooks, it just seems like they don't go for very cheap. And then even when they do go for cheap, which is not under a hundred dollars, so cheap is a relative term, obviously. Uh, even when they're going for like a hundred bucks, there's there was often something about how the thing was not actually working or the battery was completely gone or, or whatever. So didn't really comfortable it didn't feel comfortable buying a a truly sort of used I didn't I didn't feel comfortable digging one out of the rubbish bin essentially because it was gonna be expensive and it was gonna I was I felt like I was gonna end up with a computer that may or may not even work. And I didn't want to invest that much effort into this. I didn't want to get a, a doorstop and try to resurrect it. Not not interested in learning it on those conditions. So I I eventually found a deal at one of the local hardware stores, the computer stores, where they had a refurbished uh, Chromebook. So it had been, it had belonged to someone at some point, and it had gone back to the store, not the factory, just the store for, um, you know, as a returned item or whatever, and so they brushed it off and, and freshened it up and made it look like new again, and we're selling it at a, at a reasonable discount. So, and I'm saying all of this because I just, one of the things that I want to talk about here is the the price, the the value, the bang for your buck. So I was able to purchase this Lenovo Chromebook. I think it's the CR340-11, which if you go to Lenovo.com or whatever and look that model up, you will see that it is no longer available. And that is, again, it was refurbished, so it doesn't, it's not a current model, but it's, it's current enough. And uh, I purchased the thing for about, let's say, 450 New Zealand dollars, which is pricey. I mean, again, cheap and expensive relative terms, and I realize that, and frankly, 450 bucks seven years ago, to me, would have been prohibitive, and, and that would, that would have been expensive. Today, it's, it hurts, it's, it's a chunk of change, but I was able to sort of, I was able to justify the, the purchase, and 
to make the purchase. I mean, more than just justifying it. I, I had that money lying around for um, sort of personal development and learning new things. And so I, I was able to do that with a, a relatively clear conscience. Now, 450 bucks again, it depends on where you sort of sit, how you were, you know, where where you were raised, what your experience was as a, as a young person with money. Mine was okay as a kid, and then as a young adult, I sort of dipped pretty far down into sort of the poverty zone um, and have been working pretty pretty steadily, you know, within the past, well, very steadily within the past uh, probably 10, 10 years or so. So, so yeah, the, the money was there. It did hurt, though, 450 bucks. Then I started looking at other computer options, like if I hadn't gone for a Chromebook, you know, and, and, and I believe me, as I was doing this, as I was shopping, I was thinking, maybe, maybe I should just stop not get a Chromebook and just get another a laptop and look into the options for installing Chrome OS or whatever onto that laptop because I understood at the time that that might be possible and I'll talk about more about that in a moment. So I thought maybe that's what I'll I'll try. Uh, and so I was looking at other laptops and I, I was quickly realizing that no $450 New Zealand dollars uh, is is quite quite reasonable for a laptop. Um and and certainly certain brands of computers are literally a thousand dollars more than what I four hundred fifty plus a thousand just for the starting for the bottom line. So I thought, okay, this is actually a really reasonably priced laptop. Like really, it is. It is not free, and and free is better. Zero dollars is definitely better than four hundred fifty dollars. And as I've said before, if you are a geek and you need a laptop and you have zero money, then you can sometimes make a really really sweet score by finding somebody who needs help transferring their data from their old computer to their new computer, or they need help, you know, erasing the data off of their old computer, or they have a computer that they that, that has broken and they need you to just grab the data off of it, or, or whatever. Very frequently, you can find people who need geek help and are willing to essentially pay for your services with free hardware. And that is how I got a lot of my hardware very early on. So that's zero dollars. This is four hundred and fifty dollars. Take that take that for what it's worth. You know, that take it take that value for whatever it's worth. What I'm gonna say about four hundred and fifty dollars for this particular piece of hardware is that it kind of blew my mind. Uh four hundred and fifty dollars for this little laptop that I ha now have uh is pretty amazing. Like the form factor I would I would liken to a MacBook Air, perhaps. Like that's that's what comes immediately to mind w without having done any kind of side-by-side -side comparison because I don't have access to a MacBook Air. So that that's where I would place its form factor. And in many ways it is better than that because the screen flips over over to become like a little tablet, although your tablet now I guess has a keyboard in the back which is kind of weird, but you know, whatever. It's, it's so it's it's a flip top or whatever. Uh, it's got a touch screen which I've actually not really used much at all. I'm just not used to touching sort of a screen. That's weird to me. Um, it's got one of those weird sort of chiclet keyboards or whatever they're calling them these days. Uh, but it's got two USB ports and an SD, micro SD card slot. And it looks like a USB-C and then the power port, which I don't know if that's that double as a USB-C. I'm not really sure. Uh, oh, and a audio jack, a single audio jack. So yeah, I mean that it, it, it definitely, for $450, I, upon seeing it and experiencing it, I felt like I was getting more computer than I had paid for. 
especially since I have paid for, I mean, I, I paid for, or I, I purchased a bulk of a couple of laptops uh, for a for a school, for an organization once, and they were $300 laptops. I think it was $300, and they were nowhere near this nice, and, and that was a couple of years ago. So I felt like, I don't know, I felt like the value has gone up for that amount of money. Um, yeah, so pretty pretty happy with the hardware from 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 the start. From, from the moment I opened it and, and sort of felt it, I, I felt like 450 well spent, possibly. Now I still had the, the operating system to tackle, right? And 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 that's that's something. That's that's a big deal. That's that's the main thing, you could argue. I mean, if I'd hated the hardware, at least I could just sit it up on a shelf somewhere and SSH into it or something. But I mean, this is this is it. This is the OS. This is the this is the thing that you interface with. So uh, let's take this in two stages. The before the coffee break stage will be the default Chrome OS experience, and after the break will be the non-default Chrome OS experience. That's the one that we actually care about. But we may as well, again, because part of this exercise for me at least was to to know and understand and experience what other people out there, like lots of other people out there, are experiencing as a computing platform. I don't think this will take long because there's not a whole lot to it, to be fair. But I'll, I'll, I'm going to try to be relatively objective here. Um, and, and don't mistake my objectivity for acquiescence or for even praise, necessarily. It is true objectivity. So turn the computer on and it boots up to, you know, the Chrome OS thing. And the initial couple of screens have you sign in to your account. Now, if you don't have an account, you can create a Google account. So this was like my, I don't know, 18th sort of throwaway Google account that I've I've created. And that is the, that's the thing that you log into. You, you log in to your computer by logging into your Gmail account, which feels very strange and very unsettling. However, you, it, it works. Like it, it has local awareness of your, your identity. You can log into your computer without a network connection. It's fine. It doesn't, it, it, it's not like, oh, if you don't have access to the internet, you no longer have access to your computer. Now, once you're in the computer, what do you have access to? That gets a little bit trickier because certainly if you have things that are saved on your, in, in your Google Drive, then you, you have local access to sort of the cached version of that, and you could work on that. And I guess your mind kind of goes immediately, if, if you're like me at least, to, to the, the edge cases, and you think, well, what about the time when I've got my Chromebook and I've been working on my document, and I don't have internet, and then I, I don't have my Chromebook, and I do have internet, and I pull up that document, and now my changes aren't there. Or what happens if I work on something online at uh, work or at school, and that's in my Google Drive, and then I, I go onto my Chromebook, and I don't have internet, so now I don't have access to the new, the newest edition of my work, or version of my work. So it's this sort of fear of being out of sync. And I imagine that could be a problem, realistically. Like, that could, that could happen, and it takes exactly one time, I would imagine, for that to happen for you to lose confidence in that model. But I also feel like you would develop a certain sensibility around your internet feasibility. You, you would kind of know, I think, if you had a Chromebook, I think you would have to develop a sense for, okay, well, where am I 
where am I going and what's the reasonable expectation about whether I'll have internet or not? And and also I think the idea would be that you would have your Chromebook and therefore you wouldn't be working on another device. Like that wouldn't be part of your workflow. You would you would be working on your Chromebook. So whether you had internet or not, you would have the latest version of your work because that's always on your Chromebook. And if you've never used one, then you'll you you would you would be maybe a little bit fooled by how the applications appear to be self-standing applications. And and they do a really interesting job of turning the web browser inside out. But if you could imagine, if you've never used a Chromebook, if you imagine Imagine a computer full of Electron applications. Electron being that framework where you can build cross-platform applications because it's built on, I think, WebKit or something like that. Uh, and, and it's essentially a JavaScript HTML CSS application that runs locally on, on your computer. You can see that in action with, for instance, Signal. Signal and uh, what's, what's, what's the other one that I know of? I don't remember it. Um, but yeah, there, there's a couple out. Th- oh, Atom. A-T-O-M. I'm pretty sure. I think that's an Electron application. I could be wrong. Anyway, it, it's, you, you'll, you'll see it if you look hard enough. Electron applications. It's a pretty big stack for a local application. Um, but what Chrome OS apparently has done is it sort of takes all of these web apps and and I say turn them inside out because you'll 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 hit your little uh application button which by default is the caps lock although I've 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 remapped that but more on that later I guess uh and then type in something that you're searching for like calculator and apparently there's not a calculator on on this particular machine and I'll explain why that might be the case again in a little bit so um either way you could look through... Oh, there, there's one. Files. Well, actually, I don't know if that's one of them. Anyway, my point is... I do have a point, And that is that they've they've exploded all of these applications that normally would be apps sort of within your Google application suite. And they've made them into apparently self-standing apps. But, but really, it's... It's just tabs that have been taken out of the browser, get rid of the the browser window decoration and menu options that wouldn't be relevant in that situation, and just give you the app part. And that's pretty much the experience. That is Chrome OS. Like, out of the box, that's Chrome OS. I think that's it. Um, It's a bit weird, you know, like... Um, for for someone who wants to be who, who wants to use the computer as a computer, that does feel very limiting. Um, it did not take me long to continue past that part of the experience. It was as dismal as I'd expected. Like that was the Chrome OS experience that I had feared, and it was exactly as I'd expected. It was it was here is a browser, and here are the five or six applications that Google application suite happens to offer none of which i use in real life so and and frankly none of which are very useful to to my my interests none of these had things that interested me in any way like even google docs which is kind of their word processor well it's not kind of the, it is their word processor even that didn't really hold any interest for me because i wanted to write in plain text and google docs doesn't really understand that concept it doesn't know really how to how to treat plain text. I mean, you can style it in a certain way so that it looks like plain text, and then you can, I guess, export it as plain text, although, of course, that's not the intention. 
Google Drive expects it to be an entity, that file to be an entity within your Google Drive. There's a, a certain almost hyper-integration to it, if, if that's even the right word. I, I guess what I'm really trying to say is it's very difficult, once you're in Chrome OS, as far as I can tell by default, to extricate your, your the, the data that you believe you are saving out of Google. And that is obviously the intent. That is exactly what Google intends. And it is not, I don't think, it's a bad idea, interestingly, shockingly. Like, I get it. I really do. I, I totally get it. And if there was, for instance, a NextCloud OS, whereby it doesn't have to be a bootable OS, understand. I guess it would be more like a NextCloud desktop, whereby you would boot into your Chrome OS, or, you know, whatever, your, your future pretend cloud computer. You boot into that, and your desktop is an exploded, turned-inside-out kind of expression of of your next cloud instance then that would work really well for me to be honest like that would be great uh, if i could just interface directly with all of my next cloud components but as individual apps and all my files would be saved into my next cloud instance that that makes sense like it makes a hundred percent sense to me and it it is honestly not a bad a bad idea at all and i don't know if if you dear listener were personally lucky enough to see some of the mid-2000s, like 2006, 7, 8, that time frame, there were some really interesting experiments around operating systems that existed, like desktops that existed in your web browser. So you could open up a web browser, go to this location, one of them was called iOS, E-Y-E-O-S, which I think... I think someone grabbed that domain since, and it's a completely different thing. But at the time, it was something like iOS dot something or another. You would go there, and it was probably just either com or net or org, because I don't think they had... Yeah, they didn't have a bunch of fancy domain, top-level domains back then. But you go there, and you would log in, and, and your browser screen would become a, a, a desktop. And you, you'd have a little menu at the bottom of the, of the window, and you click on your applications and launch a little text editor inside of there. And so you, it was like a, it was a window into this sort of cloud-based operating system. And it was a fascinating idea. I mean, it's, it felt as clunky as it sounds, you know, I mean, it, it, it is, it's, it's like, well, it's like a virtual machine with no integration f- with your host whatsoever, but, and it lived in the browser, so if, if the browser crashed, or if you, I don't know, closed the browser without thinking about it or something, then it went away, but it was a really fascinating idea, and I feel like this is kind of that idea, that, that's, that's this con, that's the continuation of that concept here in Chrome OS. So, what I'm really, really trying to impress upon you, dear listener, is that it, this is not a bad idea. If if you are a person with your your and you you have progressed beyond physical thumb drives, and your 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 USB thumb drive is the cloud, which is a completely reasonable thing, especially with something like Nextcloud, where you you own the hardware and the software running this little quote-unquote cloud, then then having a computer that just kind of interfaces directly with that and the synchronization is always on, it felt very natural. The only thing that felt unnatural was the ecosystem, the actual, the, the cloud that I was on. And, and I had no interest in interfacing with the Google cloud. And it turns out, to the surprise of 
probably no one, Chrome OS is not the right tool for someone who does not want to get involved with Google. Before we walk away from the default Chrome OS experience, I do want to mention the Google Play Store because it is a significant part of the default experience of Chrome OS. As I understand it, it is relatively new, and I don't know what that means because new to me is everything about Chrome OS having just gotten involved with it sort of uh, three weeks ago. But so, I mean, you know, when I say new, it could be five years ago. It could be seven years ago. It could be yesterday. I don't know. But at some point, the Google Play Store was opened up to Chrome OS users. And what that means is that just as people can install applications on an Android phone, they can also install it on Chrome OS. That's a big deal, because if you think about what Chrome OS is, which is a, a web browser with Google web apps, then the Android Play Store, the, the Google Play Store, offers everything else. So you name it. Uh, if you're looking for, I don't know, games, I guess, are on the Play Store. Um, uh, I don't know, a, a voice recorder. That was that's, that's something that you're looking to record a podcast. You can't do that on Chrome OS. I mean, you can if you find some kind of cloud-based voice recording service, which I'm sure there are many out there. But what if you want to do this locally? Well, you could find a, a voice recording app in the Play Store and run that. Uh, maybe you don't like, I don't know, the, the text editing options you want to do something you don't you don't want to use google docs you want to use a, a, a text editing app well you could maybe you could find that in the google play store so in other words applications really honestly like all all applications that you want to run that aren't in a browser google play store is able to 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 provide some something i don't know if it's an alternative because in, in many cases, it's not an alternative. It is it is the only alternative. It's the only thing you've got to use. Um, so it's huge that the Play Store is available to Chrome OS users. And I don't know, you know, I, I don't know, I haven't, like I say, I've ignored Chromebooks for so long at this point that I, I don't know how common it is for people to, to take advantage of that. I don't know if it's something that people do frequently. I don't even know if most people have the ability to because I, I do understand, to, to a limited degree, I understand that Chromebooks are probably very frequently managed devices. So you may, as a user, not have the ability to install something from Play Store because maybe you don't have, you know, someone's limiting your ability to, to, um, to do that, which limits, you know, the, the, the device's usefulness in many ways anyway so um that's it's a pity but i mean yeah sometimes that's that's the goal of the device is to just be a device for a specific set of apps so for managed managed devices i can imagine that that none of these sort of workarounds are going to do anything because the the device is strictly maintained by some other entity other than yourself but if that's not the case then google play store is there and so the default you know like the the normal everyday user who's who just purchased a Chromebook off the shelf, what they're getting is a web browser, they're getting some Google web apps, and they're getting access to all of the Android apps that exist. On uh, that, that oh, sorry, all of the Android ex uh, uh, apps that exist on the Play Store. That's a that's an important thing to realize. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I don't use the Play Store. I use F-Droid. And so I would, if I were going to do this, I would just load... F-Droid apps on my Chrome OS. Well, you, you could definitely try to do that, but Chrome OS will stop you. It, it, it recognizes that the application that you're trying to install, that, that APK that you're trying to install on your device, is not a Play Store 
authorized or verified whatever app. And so it will not let you install the F-Droid app on Chrome OS without you working around its its preventative measures. And I don't want to go into that because that's not the default Chrome OS experience. What I've just described is the default Chrome OS experience. And I have to admit that if you are okay with living your life within Google's guise, then the default Chromebook experience is not bad. I mean, it's not bad in the same way that, you know, I don't know, I guess Mac experience isn't bad if you're okay with just doing whatever Mac tells you to do or Apple tells you to do. Windows isn't bad as long as you're okay with just letting Microsoft decide arbitrarily what you're not authorized to do. Yes, it's it's not great, but at the same time, like in terms of using a computer, purchasing a computer and then sitting down at a desk and, and using the thing, I, I have to say in a weird way, it's 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 not as bad as I'd expected. It was sort of like, yeah, I could there is use here. I could see how a person, if I was if I really put myself into someone else's shoes, I can imagine how a person could do work as long as they live in a browser. And I know a lot of people really, really do. They they use online services left and right. And so this would feel like a very reasonable, if not restrictive, platform for them. And I think in a way, and hear me out here, I think in a way Google has successfully called people's bluffs. What I mean by that is, for many, many years now, we Linux users have been telling people, if you do not like macOS, if you do not like Windows, then you can come over to Linux and use Linux, and it will do everything that you need it to do. And people have sometimes... Uh, ignored us outright. Other times they've taken us up on the challenge and they've tried Linux for a day. And sometimes, I mean, to be to be fair, you know, sometimes people try it for quite a long time. So often it seems like they, 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 they encounter some kind of block, something that doesn't work the way they need it or want it to work immediately, and they say, well, there you go. I gave it a try, and I just can't do this thing, and so I'm going to walk away from Linux, or I'm not going to ever try Linux, or whatever the, the scenario might be. And I have often been rather suspect of that. I've, I've always felt like there was a little bit of there's something disingenuous about that. And I feel like Google, because maybe because they have, because they're Google, they have lots of money, they've been able to, to get the Chromebook into lots of hands, I feel like they have truly... They, they have, they've told people, look, if you don't like Mac, you don't like Windows, you can try a Chromebook. And people have been trying it, and for whatever reason, people, when they try that, they say, oh, well, this doesn't do this thing, or this doesn't, this isn't working the way that I need it to, or whatever. Instead of just dropping it, they find a workaround. Now, why are people willing to find that workaround for Chrome OS, and they haven't been willing to find that workaround for Linux. I, I think there, there are probably lots of different factors going on here. I mean, I think probably one of the one of the reasons is it's Google. It, it's a branded product, and people uh, in today's world, they love branded products. They just, they love to feel like there's a company out there taking them under their, under its protective wing, and so if you just stick with Chrome Chrome OS and Chrome your Chromebook device and and just work work with Google to solve your problems it'll be fine. Whereas Linux you don't you don't really have that sort of figurehead. Linux is famously disparate. There there is no central Linux thing to sort of latch on to 
if you're the person who needs the central thing to latch on to. Not everyone does, but I think the people who don't are probably comfortably okay. They're, they're Linux users. Uh, and the people who do, I think, are latching on to s- some, some figurehead, whether it's the Google logo or the Apple logo or the Windows logo. So you've got that going on. I think you also have... Um, the 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 cost of the the barrier of entry which is the cost and and when you spend money on a device you are frequently more likely to work with that device and i remember back in the 2000 somethings uh 2006 i guess everything happens in 2006 um the, the triple epc came out and it distributed linux on the device and it was a different form factor and it shook the foundations of the computing industry it made lots of different companies think very differently about what a laptop was and could be and was expected to be. And I think it, it's arguable that it even ushered in the, the, the era of, of tablets and things like that and portable devices and, and certainly the lightweight laptops. So, I mean, it was, it was huge. And yet even then, even that computer people, people took and installed Windows XP onto instead of of Windows. So I, I think there's the this margin of escape that Chromebook, by ensuring that its OS is this immutable, uh, untouchable OS image somewhere on your machine that you don't really even have control over or knowledge of, it's like a phone practically, it's a mobile device, there, there's no way for you to put something else on that. This is it. You get Chrome OS, that's what you've got on this hardware device. You don't get to back out of that decision. That's the decision that you've made, and you get to work around that decision. Or if you're wealthy enough, then you just write it off. You just give it to your kid and and get yourself a different computer that you like better or something like that. I do think there's a little bit of the investment syndrome. You've invested in this thing, and darn it, you're going to make it work. I think it's really interesting, though. I think there's a lot, or there's something to be learned there. And I don't know if Linux can act upon those lessons because Linux, as I say, isn't an entity. It's not a single thing that can that can sort of respond to that same... It can't leverage the same tricks. It can't play the same tricks on our public that, that Chromebook and Mac OS, arguably, and Windows plays. So an interesting thing to take note of. Let's go get coffee, and then we'll come back, and we're going to talk about the other side of this whole equation. And it's full of open source, so get ready for it. set the stage here. I'm assuming you have coffee. I want to set the stage here. I had made the decision to get a Chromebook. Uh, that was something that I was going to do. I, I just decided that I had to learn more about this platform. It was time for me to stop stammering and admitting ignorance whenever anyone asked me about a Chromebook. I wanted the experience. I didn't do a whole lot of research before purchasing. And I want to emphasize that because I was very much diving into something unknown. And I really felt like I had just taken $450 out of my pocket and burned it because I, 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 but I mean, that was the price of doing business. I thought I'm a a computer person, arguably uh, an expert in computers. I mean, if you ask, you know, my neighbors, that's what I am. So that that's that's the part I'm going to play here. I am going to invest in this computer. Going to be horrible. And, and maybe 
after I spend the money and realize that this is a just a, an, an abysmal platform that no one should ever use, I will be able to get rid of the computer to a good, you know, give it to a good home. Maybe some kid in the neighborhood or in the town will not have the money for a Chromebook required for school, and so I can just donate it. So that was what was going through my head. I got the the default experience. I was not overjoyed with it. Uh, impressed, but not overjoyed. And I should have, I should mention too, when you turn the thing on, you know, when you're logging into your Google account and stuff, the, the initial setup stage, it does have really good accessibility features. So if you're looking for a laptop for someone with low vision, low mobility, whatever, this is not, you know, they've, they've got options for it. More options, I, I think more options haven't looked at some lately, but yeah, I mean, it's it's really good. It's really good. I mean, it, it still suffers from the problem of not being on by default, and so you're, in other words, visually prompting a blind person to turn on an optional uh, speech uh, screen reader function. So, I mean, that's not going to work for a blind person. Someone will have to be there for the blind person to, to know when and where and how to turn that feature on, so that's a problem. It's a pretty typical problem, to be honest. You, you find that in a lot of devices. I would say most um, most companies don't don't ever think about that. Uh, that you know they they they're they're asking you to to point at a little button on screen and turn on mobility accessibility features. Well, if you don't have good mobility, then that could be very challenging for you. These features, I feel like, especially during that initial setup phase should just be on first, and then people can turn them off as part of the setup. But they, they, it shouldn't be off and then be able to be turned on by the people who cannot respond to the prompt. Really strange oversight that I just, I can't imagine why no usability person in any company seems to have thought of that. Well, I shouldn't say no usability person in any co company. Someone thought of it at Apple because it is on by default last time I heard. Anyway, it's it's a good experience. Like I said, it's as good as any other experience that you're going to have on a consumer device. Luckily for me, as a consumer, there are options. You can do other things with your Chrome OS device other than sign into Chrome OS and use a Google computer. You can instead, well, okay, I'm going to do this in phases. Here's what we here's what you can do. You can have Chrome OS on your Chrome book and you can activate what is called the Linux beta. The Linux beta is a feature on Chromebook that allows you to run Linux applications on your Linux computer. It's an amazing, amazing feature. Um, the way that they implement this is a little bit surprising to me. They, you, you, you're not, so the Chrome, the Chrome platform is based on Linux. I want to emphasize that. This is, um, I, I, I would have to argue that, I mean, well, I, I guess, I would have to surmise, I would have to theorize that this is how BSD people must have felt when Mac OS came out with a bunch of U BSD utilities. Now that, to be fair, always has confused me because it's not like Mac OS is running a literal BSD kernel. It just has a bunch of BSD utilities on it, which, I mean, that is cool and all, but that's, it's not really, people say, oh, Mac OS is BSD, but, I mean, it's not really. It's, it's running a different kernel, and it has, it's borrowed a lot of ideas and stuff from BSD, so I, I never really got the whole idea that Mac was BSD. I never quite understood that. But anyway, this is Linux. Like, this is actually Linux. You can, you, you can, 
you can look into the file system. I mean, not not by default. That's not the experience we're going for right now. We're we're past the default Chromos experience. Um, but this is a Linux device, um, which I think if I'd known, if I'd really understood that, and I think that's why people early on within the Linux community were excited about Chromebooks, a little more excited about Chromebooks than I sort of thought reasonable. Um, but I mean, it it is a Linux device, so this is kind of amazing. However many Chromebooks are out there, just just like even I think more so than Android phones. I mean, not necessarily more so, but like really, yeah. I mean, this is like a computer running a Linux kernel, and lots and lots of people are using it. It's kind of amazing if you think about it. Now it's all hidden, and so you can go into your settings and activate this Linux beta feature, and you can do this just as a normal user. I mean, again, we'll we'll assume that the the question of managed devices is not entering the equation here because I I don't have any experience with that, and I assume that that would restrict all kinds of things. So we won't we won't talk about managed devices. But if you own your device and you manage it yourself, you can go in and turn on Linux Beta, and it um it it offers to partition your hard drive such as it may be. I mean, the Chromebooks. You know, part of the theory here is that you don't need a whole lot of local storage. Everything's going to go up to Google. So you're not partitioning your Google Drive. You know, you're you're partitioning whatever physical media there actually is on you know embedded in your computer. I was able to do that uh, f- with a 25 gigabyte Linux partition and I think another 25 for Chrome Chrome OS or something like that. So it was a considerable size. I mean, not really. I mean, my thumb drive is 64 128 gigabytes. So you know, there there are there are it's a scale here. But um 20 gigs out of whatever it is, 50 gigs, 64 gigs, whatever is on this computer is is pretty respectable, I thought. So that's nice, and then once you do that, you, you wait for it to sort of set everything up, and then it opens up a terminal for you. And this terminal, if I type in uname-av, tells me it's Linux Penguin 5.4.74, that's what it is as of this recording, and uh, that's kind of kind of cool. So it, it is actually a Linux terminal. If I do, for instance, sudo apt search, I don't know, emacs, then I get... I get the results of a sudo apt search Emacs. So yeah, this is it. Um, let me do a cat slash Etsy star E-L-E-A-S. I don't remember what it's release. What is it? OS release? Something like that. Uh, so this says it's Debian GNU Linux 10 Buster. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm running now. Now, interestingly, this isn't really... This is, It's not like this terminal has punched through the, the veneer of Chrome OS and is looking at the Linux layer underneath. I, I'm not, this is not Chrome OS in other words. This is actually a Linux container running on Linux. I feel like that's an, a really surprising sort of layer of abstraction and I haven't been able to delve quite deep enough yet into into how this is implemented to know whether this is for instance like a toolbox on silverblue on fedora silverblue or if it's if it's a completely if it is a container a proper container being managed by c groups or whether it's like a virtual machine that is being hypervisored so i'm i'm not entirely sure what exactly i'm dealing with here and i haven't i haven't i have not yet looked deep enough into it to understand the the exact technology but it smacks of well one of those because for instance if i if i go over to a browser and download foo.jpg then foo.jpg appears in my downloads folder in my file manager here this is just the normal chrome os file manager downloads um but not in my linux files 
So those are two separate partitions, remember? We, we had to create a separate partition for Linux, or, or a separate container or something for Linux. And so I don't see the things in in from from Linux. If I do an ls while I'm in my home directory, I don't see any files there. And yet I know from clicking on my files in the little file manager, if I go to downloads, there it is. So it kind of it 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 represents Linux in the file manager as a different folder in your in your my files location file location but in reality it, it seems to be more than that because you can also do things like you can right click on for instance downloads and select share with linux and then linux can reach those files as well so there's always this weird kind of unsettling awkward separation between your linux side and your chrome os side and i'm not exactly entirely sure why they didn't just sort of say okay well if the user has created a linux partition then we're going to symlink or whatever they need to do tunnel or 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 do a, a file share of some sort such that the Linux home directory is is your my files or or maybe at least your Linux downloads directory is your downloads directory in in Chrome OS. I feel like that would be a more natural kind of connection between those two those two paths. Whereas right now it seems like you it's just like a, this extra thing that you have to do. I'm sure there's probably a command. I would hope there there was a command to do this, but right now you can you can right click on the for instance downloads and tell it yes share with linux and then you can access those things from linux or something like that it's awkward um but linux does run and it's more than just a linux terminal it is a linux terminal with apt for instance so you can install uh, like i say emacs and then in your application menu within within Chrome OS, your application menu, sees that you have installed Emacs, and you now have Emacs available to you as an application that you can launch and run within Chrome OS. And you would be hard-pressed to tell Emacs apart from any other application on your Chrome OS. I mean, it, it is exactly... It, it just... It behaves exactly the same way. It is fully integrated into the system. And I want to emphasize this point for people who have maybe tried playing around with uh, Mac OS and some of their... You know, the Mac OS Xquartz integration, which I shouldn't even say the word integration and the term Xquartz in the same sentence. If you've ever had to suffer through Xquartz, you'll know that the that the that the integration is just doesn't exist. There's just not there is no integration there. I mean there is, strictly speaking, but but really it it never feels like it. It's it's a really it's 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 pretty poorly done. Not so with this. This is surprisingly well integrated. This this feels exactly like the same system except it always goes back to that file system separation that's a little bit weird so if you've got a text file that you've downloaded into your uh, chrome os downloads then when you open up your emacs you're gonna have to work to get to that text file or more likely you'll just drag that text file into your linux directory and, and then use it from there so there is a weird invisible barrier there that that to an to an a normal user must really feel strange. Why? Why is that? It, it must feel less like a barrier and just 
like really clunky clunky design like why why do i have to put all my files in this folder called linux files like i i I understand that that's what i have to do in order to see my files but why why would they do it that way and the answer is i don't know why they would do it that way it seems really odd to me so i'm not really sure what they're what they're what they were thinking there and hopefully that'll get better eventually because i i can definitely see some really smooth avenues to just making that not be apparent to people. You could just say, there's your downloads folder. Because once you're in your Chrome OS file manager, you have no sensation of a system, uh, of a file system. Like, the, the file manager of Chrome is exactly what you would imagine from a Google product. It is a, a window with essentially what I assume are labels or tags off to the left. So if you want to find all of your image files, you would click on images. And whether they're in your downloads folder or in some other directory on your computer, they show up there. But there's no sense really of folders and directories. It's it's a big bucket where you put all your stuff. And, and it, it just feels odd to me that the one exemption to that is Linux files. Um, so it, it may as well just be the same bucket as far as I can tell. And no one would really understand the difference there. It would just look like the same bucket. Now, once you're within a Linux app, the fact that you have directories or that you might have directories, that's up to you because you're creating the directories yourself. But otherwise, you're just throwing everything into that same bucket. I don't know why there would be the separation. Okay, anyway, Linux. It works exactly as you'd expect. That's all there is to say about that. Linux is exactly what you would hope for it to be. So if you had purchased a Chromebook and you were nervous as you might be, about sort of the functionality of the thing. You're just turning on Linux beta, pretty much you've you've just sort of, you've made up the price of that computer. It's, it's now a fully functional computer, with a couple of exceptions. So first of all, Linux has, that there is that separation between the Linux and the Chrome system. So you're going to have some problems with Linux programs that require access to ports that Chrome OS otherwise dominates. So for instance, I tried recording this very episode on the Chromebook, and to my dismay, it just wouldn't work. I installed Audacity a couple of different ways, and tried to get my sound into Audacity. Could get sound out, could not get sound in. And what I finally sort of settled on, and I'm, I'm not overly pleased with the, the answer, but I... I think this is it. It's just that, that Chrome OS is grabbing, for instance, my USB headset, it's it's grabbing control over that before Linux has access to it. So I need some kind of USB pass-through option that I do not have, at least at least not in an obvious way. I haven't looked very, very deep into it, but I've tried a lot of different things. I've tried interfacing through Alsa and through Pulse and a bunch of other things, and it's just not working. It's just Linux itself is never seeing that device as an option. So that that that's that's sort of a non-starter. Now, if if you're just looking to, you know, there there are ways to work around those kinds of things. Like if if your aim is simply to record audio, then you can use the Android applications that you have access to to make up the, the the difference. But if you were looking to use a specific Linux app, and I was, for instance, I wanted Audacity because I, I know that as I talk, I need to edit myself. So I'll, I'll, I'll stop recording and, and delete something that I, I wasn't sure about or, or delete some stum- st- stammering and stuttering and so on. So I wanted Audacity specifically, not just some method of recording. Uh, I could get some method of recording, got that, but specifically that Linux app, that was not, that was not working. Now, if there had been an Audacity, um, you know, Android edition or something, then maybe, well, that would, that would work, but, but 
trying to use that feature of Linux was not functional. And I'm sure there are lots of other examples of that limitation. So that's something to be aware of. But in terms of kind of the productivity side of, of Linux and even the development side, it's just, it's it's exactly what you would expect. I've installed Lua, I've, I've installed um, Qt, and uh, I've, I've compiled and run applications that are Qt-based. I've written Lua scripts. Everything's just kind of working the way that one would expect it to work, pretty much. Watch out for the exceptions. I wouldn't bank on it, but I, I would say overall, the thing is is functioning as I would expect it to function. Okay, so that's Linux, and of course Linux also has this new f- new thing called Flatpak, and that turns out to work really well as well. So you can install Flatpak on within your your Linux terminal, and then install Flatpaks from from your Linux environment, and and Chrome OS becomes aware of the Flatpaks. So you now have your Linux applications and your Flatpaks and your Chrome OS applications all in the same location, looking like applications that may as well have shipped with the computer. It's it's kind of amazing to be honest. And again, everything is working as expected outside of the the few exceptions of things that just collide, I guess, with with Chrome OS's systems. Or or probably it's not that they collide, it's just that it's being dominated by the Chrome OS side and there's no pass through into that, I guess, virtual machine or container or whatever it is. Okay, so that's that's just the Linux beta side of things. Now, you can go a step farther and activate developer mode. Developer mode is really easy to activate. It was trivial to turn to, to to turn on. The problem was that well, there is no problem. The the thing about it is that it erases your computer. It's sort of like it re you know does some weird factory reset or something, and and it it, it activates the big fancy developer mode, which isn't really that fancy, but um, it's. It activates the developer mode by erasing, you know, resetting your device, essentially. So you have to go through the whole setup experience again. So if you're going to do developer mode, just decide that early on or make sure all your stuff is backed up. But, of course, you wouldn't have to back anything up because you're living in the Google paradise. But um, assuming all of those things are, are fine, you turn on developer mode, you reboot. Well, you wait for it to reset. You finally, after a long while, you reboot, and now your computer beeps really, really loudly at you twice every time you turn it on. And that apparently is not something that you can deactivate outside of opening the computer and probably desoldering the little motherboard speaker or something. It's, it's some very involved, convoluted process that I am not interested in attempting right now. Pro- probably ever. Um, I'll just live with the beeps, but boy, would those beeps be annoying, I could see. Like, if you were trying to get some late-night computing done or something, and someone was asleep in the same room, like, that would be, that would keep you from turning your computer on. It's just, it's that loud, you know the, the loud beep that I'm talking about, the, the motherboard beep. So, there is that, but once you have developer mode turned on, you're free to pretty much do whatever you want, and it's pretty amazing. So first of all, the the most obvious benefit of developer mode is that you can now ignore Play Store, Google Play Store, and use F-Droid. So if you are used to F-Droid, I think it's, what, f-droid.org or something like that. Um, if, you, if, if you've ever used, yeah, f-droid.org. If you've ever used F-Droid on an Android phone or tablet, then you'll be familiar with it. It is a, it's, it's like a Google Play Store or a Linux software repository before Play Stores existed. Um, and it has 
applications on it that are open source. Now, there are a couple of exceptions there that you have to look out for. So some applications are, you know, it's an open source client, but the service that it's sort of tapping into isn't open. But Fdroid is really good about identifying those for you. If you're, if you're about to install something that that's, uh, that they say sometimes encourages open source or, or, or not, uh, encourages, uh, you know, closed proprietary technology or something like that, then then it, it warns you. So you know very much what you're getting into pretty early on. And um, it's really nice. Fdroid.org. You should check it out for your device, your Android device. And then if you get a Chromebook or if you have one, turn developer mode on. And now you can install stuff from Fdroid. So that is huge. That's... Um, that's that's a whole other set of applications that you now have to in, to add to your computing environment. And the Fdroid applications or the Android applications, whether you get them from Fdroid or, or Google Play, they work really, really well. There is a, a, yet another caveat, and that is the file system thing again. So Android applications, of course, imagine a certain structure of, of, of for its file system. And so you have to kind of get used to speaking now in three different senses of your file system. There's the Chrome OS, which is the really stupid, simple one, which is like, yeah, dump it onto my computer. And and then it just shows up in your file manager. Big bucket model. Then there's the Linux version, which is, yeah, put it in my Linux drive here in slash home slash clat2, and then good luck finding that from somewhere else. Well, actually, it's not that hard because it's got Linux files right here. So it, it points you to your Linux home in your file manager. The, the trickier one, though, oh, and, and of course, there's possibly the SD card. So the SD card shows up in your file manager if if you have an ex, a, a, an external you know a card reader a SD card slot whatever I put that in shows up in my file manager and it also shows up as slash mnt slash chrome os slash uh, I think the name of the of the SD card in in Linux Android applications sort of throw all of that out and it I think in the Android application mind there is um, the storage. And then there's the, I think they call it the emulated storage. And you have to kind of figure out, well, what is that on my computer? And it can be tough to figure out sometimes. And and it they, they, they're pretty consistent. They really do insist that that's the truth. Like, this, this is the file system. And even if you're, if you know that's not the file system, that's not what my file system looks like, to that Android application, that is exactly what your file system looks like. And you get to save things in certain places, and then you get to go look for them later because uh, it's really hard to navigate file systems that don't actually exist after you've just saved it into a file system that something exists insists exists. So that's that. There's a little bit of an oddity there again. And again, I, I just kind of do. Unfortunately, I wonder what a quote unquote normal user, everyday user, what they would what they would make of that. Like, it's got to be great that you can install these Android apps, but at least the stuff that that is geared toward productivity, I just don't see, like, why, you know, when you you do a voice recording on Simple Voice Recorder, why does it end up in a place called slash emulated storage slash simple voice recorder slash date dot m4a or mp3 or whatever it records in, and and not just in my files? Like, and how do you get back there when you need it? So, yeah, there's, there's some, there's some, oddity with these these other systems that you can kind of keep layering onto Chrome OS, but by my 
reckoning, it's definitely, definitely worth it because Chrome OS is pretty bare bones. So these extra features, well, they're huge. I mean, they make the, the computer worth the money, really. So check that out. You can only get, again, F-Droid only in developer mode. That will not work outside of developer mode. You have to have a developer mode turned on because otherwise it, it wants to, it insists upon seeing the Google Play uh, uh, certificate or signature, di di digital signature. So that's that's developer mode. And like I say, side effect is that you get to hear two loud beeps every time you turn on your computer, or at least you do on my device. I don't know. I I've read elsewhere that it is on other devices as well. So um, just be aware of that. All right. So and then finally, 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 the 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 last one, and this is the the big one. You could also just get rid of the OS entirely, or or rather, you can swap it out for something a little bit more open source. So it turns out, and this is, again, probably not all that surprising to many of you because you, maybe you've done, like, five seconds of research, which was more than I did before purchasing the thing. Um, but boy, was this a relief when I found out that it was correct because I suspected it. I just didn't I didn't bother confirming because I knew that if I found out that it was not possible that I would not then I would not purchase the device and I wanted to learn the stupid Chrome OS thing. And now I, I know it and I never have to look at it again. So it turns out that Chrome OS is based on open source. A, a, an open source project called Chromium OS. So you know Chromium. Uh, it's the open source version or the, the open source foundation of Chrome, the, the browser. Chromium is is what Chrome is based on. So it is it is like Fedora is to Red Hat or it is like maybe you could say Debian is to Ubuntu, something like that. Um, all of that seems a bit too harsh, but but Chromium is the open source version of of Chrome. It's it's the open source stuff, and then Google takes Chromium, puts their own logo onto it, and puts their own Google stuff into it, and that becomes Chrome. So just like that, there is Chromium OS. There's this there's this project that is alive and maintained and developed, and it exists. Chrome takes it, or Google rather takes it, puts their logo on it, puts their 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 apps into it and and all of their requirements and they ship it as Chrome OS. So you can flash your device, your Chromebook with Chromium OS and it is something that you might have to fiddle around with a little bit, but I have done it. So you can go to uh, chromium.googlesource.com and there's documentation, Chromium OS docs and uh, they they explain the process for developers how to build Chromium OS, how to flash it onto your computer, and so on. So if you're already in developer mode, you're sort of halfway there already. You don't really need to do a whole lot more. Really, you you need the you need to build Chromium OS into an image and burn that to or you know DD that onto a USB device. But in terms of prepping the computer. As long as you're in developer mode, you you pretty much have everything enabled that you need enabled. There are there are lots of different variables because there are different architectures. The computer that it builds for, the computers that it builds for are there are a lot of board specific options and so on. So it can be it can be a little daunting just to kind of figure out what you're dealing with and then you don't really know what you what what you what you're in for the first time you do it because you're in developer mode now. You can access a, a little known, a very secret console that is available with a Control-Alt-F2. And there aren't any F keys, strictly speaking, on a Chromebook, but there are keys along the top of the keyboard with icons on them. And so if you just count over, there's Escape, and then there's F, functionally, there's F1, 2, 3, 4, and so on. Control-Alt-F2 takes you to a console, just like on a Linux computer. And you can log in with the username Cron. 
OS, and uh, this is not recognizing that I have a Dvorak keyboard because when you switch over to this terminal, they it doesn't recognize that. But you log in with this name, Chronos, C H R O N O S. Chronos and no password required. You just log in. You can set a password. There's a, a command for that. Chrome, Chrome OS dash set dev pass wd. I have not done that yet because um, this has just been installed. The, the new Chromium OS. Uh, this is a fresh image. Um, and and if you set a password, it gets erased later on. You know when you're reinstalling. So for now, just know that you can install. You can log in. No password. Chronos and you set the device to be bootable over USB, which typically is not set to be active. And the way that you do that is, you find the command, it is um, cross system, or cross system, C-R-O-S-S-Y-S-T-E-M, cross system. And what that does is, if you do it with sudo at least, I don't know what, you, what happens if you don't do it with sudo, probably doesn't show you anything, but um, sudo cross system, and you might pipe it to less or something. You do that and it shows you all of the active, it's really sort of like sysctl. Um, in fact, I wonder if, is, is that even, do they have sysctl? No, they don't. Okay, that's probably why. So yeah, it's very, very much like sysctl on, on another system. And so it has all of the, the these environment variables. And one of the important variable, uh, one of the, the well, the, the significant one that we're looking at right now is one called dev underscore boot underscore USB, and it is set by default to zero. So if you set that to one with a sudo cross system dev underscore boot underscore USB equals one, then now your developer mode is happy to to boot from USB. It might take a moment to sort of to update that variable, so so be patient. And then once you're ready, you can reboot your computer and hold down when you know you reboot or you power down. Let's do it that way. Power down. Insert your USB drive into your USB port. Start your computer and hold Control U as you're booting, and that just switches over to the USB drive. And as long as you've flashed that image correctly onto that USB drive, you're now booting off the USB drive. You'll know that you're booting off the USB drive because it, instead of Chrome on the on the splash screen, it says Chromium, and it uses the Chromium logo instead of the Chrome logo. Once you've booted to the USB drive, you can switch over to your virtual console again. Control Alt F2, and then issue the command to install the from the image, uh, install that image onto your hard drive, and that threw me for a, a loop here and there because so it's it's slash usr slash sbin slash chrome os dash install is the is the command that's pretty straightforward, but it it threw me off because it was asking for a destination, and I hadn't thought about that because all the in, the, all the documentation on Chromium OS had just sort of indicated that it would know that the, the only part of that command was user sbin chrome os dash install. So it took me a moment to kind of figure out what that destination ought to be, and it ended up being a slash dev slash mmc blk0, which was the internal SD card of, of the Chromebook that I have. Now, whether this is true for all Chromebooks, I have no idea, but it kind of harkens back to the triple EPC yet again, where it was. It was literally an internal SD card, and uh, if I, th I think it was. I think it was, like, literally an internal SD card, because I think I added another one. I think I got one that you could add another SD card to, or something like that. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, so it's, it's like this slash dev slash MMC... And of course, at first I thought, well, that's talking about my micro SD card that I added for extra storage. Uh, surely, surely that's not where I want to install it to. But yeah, actually, that is where I wanted to install it to. So after a couple of false starts, I finally figured out 
where the the proper destination ought to be. S- set the dash dash DST for destination to slash dev slash uh, MMC BLK zero and let it let it install. Now, to be fair, before I did that. I didn't I didn't understand what I was doing and so I, I logged into my into the USB the live system which is kind of weird. it'll let you do that it'll let you set up your sort of your system which I think once you install it just goes away anyway because then once I rebooted I had to go through that step now what a third time right once for Chrome OS once for the live USB and then once for the actual rebooted correct image. So that was a little bit weird. Um, but but fine. I mean, it's not a problem. Just know that once you boot off of the USB, you are able to switch over to a virtual console and and get the thing installed. There is no graphical installer. You're not going to log in and then find a install the hard drive icon somewhere. That's not how this works. You're just going to go to your virtual console, do your slash user slash sbin slash chrome os dash install dash dash dst and set your destination wait for it to finish and once it's finished you can reboot and rebooting was fun too i couldn't find the the reboot command to save my life there's no telenet in this console there's no i think there was no reboot command uh, i ended up just doing a uh a, a, a slash sbin slash power off i think is what it was let me, let me look really quick sbin power off yeah that's what it was so anyway um you can do that and then you start your computer back up again and remove your USB drive, start your computer, and then you're you're booting into Chromium OS. You still have to suffer through those two loud motherboard beeps, but you're booting into Chromium OS, and now you're living in developer mode. All you know is developer mode. And wow, what a great experience that is, because now you're not using any of the Google proprietary stuff. You're coasting off of a open-source operating system on... Um, a relatively affordable computer with some really powerful tools at your disposal. Is it is it is it worth doing this over just getting a laptop and putting Linux onto it? No, no, it's not. It really isn't. This isn't that there's no added benefit here that I can tell to to just having a Linux computer. And and frankly the way that this implements its Linux awareness is a is kind of weird and and a little bit crippling if what you're going to do with this is I don't know video editing or audio recording or things like that. Actually, maybe video editing would be okay. I'm not sure because um I mean unless you need to input sound uh but anyway the point point is yeah the the linux side of this is is a little bit a little bit wonky and the android side of it is a little bit wonky although less because it does integrate with the rest of the system but if you're looking for for whatever reason a an affordable computer that that can you know that that sort of has a a fallback mode for I don't know stuff that people expect out there in the world like if you're going to a school or something and they say that a Chromebook is an acceptable bring your own device uh, device well you can do that now but you can have a bunch of other things tacked onto it that that gives you a lot more freedom than I think most people would expect to have with a, a Chromebook. So my overall impressions of a Chromebook are actually surprisingly quite good, but that is bearing in mind that there, there's it does take work to get to that point. There, it's not, it isn't good off the shelf. My my impression of it off the shelf is it it is professionally implemented. It looks like a computer that people can use, and apparently people use it. Why I don't know, but with a, a just a few extra options here and there. I can see how it is a useful device, and and frankly, it's a it's it has been a useful device 
to me now for a good two weeks after after I replaced Chrome OS with with Chromium OS. In other words, um, w- with with all the Linux stuff and and all the Android applications from FDroid, it, it really is. It, it is a completely useful system. There are days where I use the Chromebook, the Chromium book exclusively. Like that's that's the entire computing experience. Not days like this where I'm recording a podcast and I'm doing that on Slackware because this Chromium this yeah Chromium OS doesn't have the right tools for that. So yes, there are huge exceptions. There are caveats, but I could definitely see getting by on a Chromium book for an extended amount of time. Like really, especially if if what you do works. You know, if 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 you're a developer or if you are working primarily in a web browser and just dip out now and again for that for the a really good IDE that you love or whatever. That's completely functional. That is exactly, that is the sweet spot for this thing. If I ever go to a technical conference again and see a person with a Mac, I think I will just tell them politely that they should not ever get a Mac again and get a Chromebook because, I mean, the the price difference is enormous and the functionality, frankly, is superior. The integration with Linux is not perfect, but it sure is a lot better than the integration between Xquartz and macOS or Cocoa, whatever. This is this is something. This is a thing that you could get. It's also a thing that you don't have to get. I mean, it's, it is by no means a requirement and there's, like I say, the added value to Linux here is minimal. And really, once again, what this is a demonstration of is how a crippled system can be opened up with open source. Luckily, at least with the right Chromebook, and I, I obviously this is based on exactly one, but with the right Chromebook, with the right options turned on, you can replace the entire thing and have an open source computer with a, a really interesting model of, of operation uh, that can carry you through days and days and days of computing. And the battery life, frankly, is really amazing on this thing, at least so far. I know that will fade over time, but yeah, it is it is pretty nice. It takes a while to get there, but you can get there. It's kind of fun getting there. Hacking around proprietary systems is deceptively sort of satisfying. You feel like you've done a really amazing thing when you finally loaded all your open source applications on a proprietary system. But it's even better to just get rid of the proprietary system entirely. And with Chromium OS, that's exactly what you can do. That's it. I think that's everything I have to say about Chromebooks, probably. Maybe in the future I'll try to record an episode on this thing to see if it works, but I, I'm not going to promise it because I do edit a lot as I go. And without Audacity, that's a very that's a tough call. Don't go rush out and get one thinking that I'm advertising that Chromebooks are amazing. I'm advertising that Chromium OS is a really important project, something that can replace a crippled proprietary product and make it really, really useful. But to Chrome OS's credit, the integration of Android and Linux applications is a big deal. I'm really, I'm glad that they've done that. I think that they could, I hope they go farther with it, and I hope that they really embrace this open source foundation that they're basing their stuff on, because it that's the part that makes this fun. That's what makes this cool and useful. And I hope that they recognize that. Because honestly, if there's a person in your life who is sort of stuck with a Chromebook, these are the tools and tricks that can transform them from a passive computer consumer to a productive and active and an invested open source computer user. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to the GNU World Order OGCast. 
This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Augcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at Klaatu at member.fsf.org. That's Klaatu at member.fsf, as in Free Software Foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. They brought us here in a van. Yeah, you know they're going to take us back in one too.